Hey, St. Paul, welcome to our first premiere episode of uh, a podcast that's centered around Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. Today, myself and Tommy Bridges will uh, begin this journey, and we're glad that you're joining us today. Tommy, thank you for being with us today. You're welcome. Tommy, tell me a little bit uh, about how you got uh, acquainted with uh, Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline. Well, years ago, uh, I was had the, uh, I guess, the opportunity to discuss uh, the spiritual life with a fellow named Tim Bagwell, who at that time was the pastor of the Martha Bowman Church in Macon. And Tim... Uh, introduced me to this book, and that was several years ago, and I became very, very enamored with the book and some of the principles that Richard Foster laid out in the book. Now, what really, I think, got me so interested in it is the devotional readings that I do every morning and reading through the Bible on a yearly basis. And I've been doing this probably for 10 or 15 years, but not until recently did I really glean a lot of information from Scripture about the inner life, about really doing the will of God. And I really didn't understand what that was. I wanted to do the will of God, but I really didn't know how to do the will of God. I thought I was doing the will of God. But you know that evil little self enters in, that little guy on your shoulders, that little self. And I think, as I said before, um, you know, Romans, to me, Romans is a beautiful book that I have really enjoyed over these years, and specifically the internal struggle that we have. And, and to me, Paul's, Paul points out in that book, and especially I think is in chapter 7, or maybe it's 3, but anyway, what we deal with with sin in our lives and how do we overcome that? Because he keeps pointing out, you know, I know what to do, but I keep doing what I don't want to do. And that resonated with me in my life. You know, sometimes I'd say, you know, well, I don't want to do that, but I do it anyway. And the next day I said, gosh, I'd never do that again. But I do. So, you know, it's that internal struggle going on between good and evil, I suppose. And this kind of enlightened me in how do you really overcome that? And when you really dig into what Foster is saying in these disciplines is, to me, we all long for God. But how do we do that? How do we really get ourselves in a position where God can change us. I think that um, uh, there's a lot of misunderstanding when it comes to a battle of uh, that spiritual inner life um, about sin and about those things that it has to do a lot with willpower. And I know that in his book, he does talk about that. We'll get to that. Um, But there's this, this struggle within us um, as you mentioned in Romans 7, that, that, uh, that struggle that we all go through, the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing, and those things that I don't want to do, 
uh, rather I, I, I should be doing, um, I find myself not doing. And, and there's that struggle between the, the spiritual life, the life of the flesh. How do we live into this new moment? And of course, that exclamation of Paul at the end of chapter seven, thanks be to God right. that it is through. And notice what he does is he doesn't name a practice or a discipline, but it's all through the work of Jesus Christ. It's through Jesus Christ that we are able to overcome this. Right. And, and I, and I love that because we, we, because it, it runs right into that, uh, that misunderstanding that it is all about our own selves that make this happen. That spiritual life comes from prayer. Spiritual life comes through going to worship. Spiritual life comes through what, uh, you know, if, if I can do enough things that it comes through that. And the, you know, the hopeful end is uh, that um, maybe there's a desire that comes from getting closer to God. But I think what Richard Foster do, does in his book, and, 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 um, and it's quite countercultural, is that he uh, says uh, that we begin with this desire of seeking God. We begin with this desire to, to uh, live into a different reality when it comes to our spiritual life. And to believe that there is a kingdom beyond us, that there is a world beyond us. And that's difficult to do. Yes. I never will forget one of the comments you said, uh, I think when one of our Bible studies on Friday morning, you said, either you're in the kingdom of God or you're in the kingdom of the world. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's your choice. We, one of the other. And obviously as Christians, we always want to be in the kingdom of God. But, you know, I, I think it's our choice in the in the things that we do in our daily lives. And it's not just on Sunday. It's daily. It's daily. Having that time where you are kind of, you know, kind of turn it all over. And uh, surrender has always been something that I have struggled with because how do I empty myself as Jesus did, uh, what would it be like to be like Jesus, to think like him, to, to do everything that he did? And that has been a struggle with me. This, has helped, this book has helped me tremendously to recognize the fact that don't be too hard on yourself. Understand what God is telling you, and the only way to do that is listen to him, you know, and that can come through Scripture. What is he telling me through scripture that I should be doing? And one of the things that I know in, in my, uh, my profession is, you know, you can have all the knowledge in the world. You can be the most intellectual person in the world. But if you don't execute, nothing happens. You know, so I think we've got to take that in our pursuit of God. And A.W. Tozar spent this when in his pursuit of God and his pursuit of holiness is it's great to be intellectual about the scripture and to know, and you can quote scripture, but if you don't execute it and integrate it in your daily lives, what good is it? Mm. You're not doing anything and you're not being an ambassador for Christ. In my opinion, if you don't show that in your daily life, 
And the saddest outcome is we we believe that we're doing what is right, that we are uh, earning our own place at God's table um, based on our own merits. Right. And um, and I think that brings up a a, a very important um, word that maybe should be uh, said out front um, that this. That the practices of spiritual disciplines uh, laid out for us, what Richard Foster calls them the classic uh, disciplines, uh, spiritual disciplines, the things that have been practiced since even uh, before first century, they're practiced in the Old Testament, that these practices, they don't, um, they don't get us into heaven. They, uh, we, we're not adding uh, anything to the work of Christ on the cross. It's not Jesus died on the cross and us fasting or and us going to worship that gets us into heaven. It is uh, solely based upon the um, uh, the work of Christ that brings us to you know to heaven. But what these disciplines do is they um, I love the title of Ruth Barton's book. Um, uh, that centers around this idea of rhythms and that it, it begins to let our heart beat at the same rhythm as God's heart. And, and it, and it gives us a sense of being able to live into that reality that God is uh, uh, wanting us not to be overcome by the struggles of our own internal conflicts and sin and things like that, that it's, not f the disciplines are not necessarily for us to get into heaven when we die. It's actually to bring heaven into our lives, the kingdom of God into our lives before we die. Right. right. And, you know, that's a good point because one of the things that uh, he stresses in, in this is these disciplines put us in position for God to transform us. Hmm. It's just like he mentioned the farmer. The farmer prepares the field, he plants the seeds, and he turns it over, you know. So I, I, I think the, the inner transformation that he's talking about this is that's God's job. What we need to do is put ourselves in a position where he can do that. And if we don't do that by exercising these disciplines, you know, throughout our lives, whether it be meditation, prayer, or solitude, or fasting, or whatever it is, it's it's got to be putting ourselves in that position where He can do His work. Absolutely, absolutely, and I think it is a message that is so necessary for us today. Um, one of the in interesting points that he makes is um, the the reason, or at least one of the reasons that Richard Foster wrote this book was because the how-to of the disciplines are not necessarily known. I mean, in first century AD, when Jesus said, um, you know, talked about prayer, talked about fasting, uh, there was never a need for description. No. It, they, it was understood. I, I don't think that that our Christian 
uh, community today or those who are striving to to seek after God understand the importance of of what this does for us. Exactly. So when you talk just right from the beginning, when we're we're looking at Richard Foster's book, you know he uh, um, he sets the stage for um, the book. Uh, by uh, by uh, an opening introduction or a chapter that's centered around um, this idea of of what God's intention um, is uh, to open us up to um, God's good life, um, and um, and he and he kind of uh, uh, he kind of uh, unfolds this to a point where he says that this this discipline's purpose the purpose of the disciplines uh, is not to make uh, life miserable but joyful and the purpose is not to put us into bondage but to set us free the purpose is not to confine us but to liberate us i don't know about you but i probably wouldn't have used the word discipline in the book because my mind does not go to joy freedom and liberation when it comes to <laughs> discipline yes yeah well i think the first uh the first chapter is a spiritual disciplines door to liberation and it kind of sets the stage for what we were just talking about you know and again i will uh Go back to your comment. Uh, these disciplines are not some strict ordinances that you've got to do. You know, it's just like the Ten Commandments. They were put there for our, for for a better life for us if we abide by them. But there again, that little guy on the shoulders that's always <laughs> speaking to your ear, saying, "Hey, that's okay. You can do that." You know, that's what we that's why we are slave to these ingrained habits of doing this. And that's why it's so important to me personally to put myself in a position where God can do his work and to eliminate any barriers that, that, that are, is prohibiting him from a, providing me with an abundant life because we're throwing up the barriers, not him. You know, you go to Revelations uh, when he says, I stand at the door and knock, you know, and he's standing there constantly, but sometimes we shut the door on him. And I think these disciplines, whatever, you know, when we go through all these disciplines, one is not better than the other. They're all inclusive in this, and they, they all, we shouldn't put one on a pedestal in the other one. They all are inclusive in that. And each discipline is designed to bring us closer to that intimate, intimate relationship with God. Exactly. Where he reminds us that we are his and he is ours. Exactly. I like what the first, uh, what he says here. I go through life as a transit on my way to eternity. Made in the image of God, but with that image debased. Needing to be taught how to meditate, to worship, and to think. Mm. You know, just just center on that for a while, you know. Uh, how can he transform, 
transform us into the image of Christ if we don't let him. And why do you think many uh, Christians push back on this? I don't know, but I know I did for a long, long time. And, and, and I think it all goes back to the self, to the ego. We have to release that. And sometimes there you come into the will. It's the self-will. And, you know, I think uh, who is it said about will worship? Maybe it was Thomas Merton. I, I don't know. But anyway, and Paul calls it idolatry, mm. you know. So I think it's dealing with the self. And if we can let go of the self and our, and our personal will and our little, and our little domain and our little domain of self, you know, well, I can do it. I can fix this. But the reality is God is in control and we can't fix everything. You're absolutely right. I mean, if you if you think about um, a person's desire to um, fix something, um, there is um, there is a potential for someone to be able to say, "Look at what I did." Mm-hmm. The, the disciplines, in in one way, bring us to that point or that place where we can honestly, without hesitation. Um, say that it is only by the grace of God. Exactly. It is only by um, him and his work uh, that we are able to approach him, to uh, live in a uh, uh, this intimate and personal relationship. I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I don't think, you know, when, when, my, when I was growing up, my, my grandmother, um, I can still see her in my mind's eye um, she had her finger out at me a lot. She would be wagging her finger at me and it, you know, it's like, don't do this, don't do that. And, and, um, you know, there, there's, there's something about that being trans, uh, transported into our, not only other relationships, but into our relationship with God, that God is this cosmic killjoy that he is waiting for Tommy and John to mess up that he can snuff us out. But the opposite is actually true. And, and I think there, we actually know this. There, there is a relationship that we have, that many of us have, that, that actually illustrates this so well. And that's children, parents who have children. I mean, if I think of John or Anna or Katie, if I'm honest with myself, I did not bring them, uh, I did not accept them into our family uh, because they did the right thing. They received my last name before they even knew what the right thing was right. to do. And I think that that this is actually seen in scripture too. I mean, you think about the Israelites coming out of the land of of Egypt, where God released them from captivity. He actually released them and and saved them and brought them out of that bondage before the before even the first ten commandment you know was given. Exactly. So it, it is this embracing of of us today. Uh, that Exodus 19.5 mentality 
that um, that God says to us that I am the Lord your God, um, you are uh, you're mine, and and I am yours, and and you are my people, you are my treasured possession. And I think that what's counter to us, especially in our culture, is that we believe that the only way anybody is ever going to be able to accept us is if we can prove our worth. And I think what the disciplines do, do for us is at least it gets us onto this, this, um, this trajectory that it is not about us, that it is not about what we are able to bring to the table, but it is entirely, solely, fully, completely on upon God and his grace for us. Exactly. And, you know, it reminds me uh, so much about in the first sentence, he said, superficiality is the curse of our ages. And, you know, when you really think about it, we, we sometimes have a very difficult time in identifying who we really are because we have this mask in front of us and we're trying to, as you say, we're trying to extend who we are. Our self-esteem is not centered or grounded at where it should be. It's grounded into the world. You know, success in the world is how powerful you are, how much money you make and all these things. And there's nothing wrong with that. But, when you really get to know yourself, then and only then, I think that you can release the the self-interest uh, and the ego and let God do his work. Absolutely. But that's not easy, is it, Tommy? No. It I is mean, not. In, 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 in he, he even writes that that kind of dovetails to that. That we will uh, we will never see the classical disciplines of spiritual life as good, as a good thing, until we perceive that their function is to bring us into uh, this abundant life of the kingdom of God. Correct. It's not that they uh, do any other work uh, that add to that adds to any work that Christ uh, did on the cross. But they give us an a, a, an invitation to to um, uh, not be controlled by that sinful nature. Um, you know, John Wesley, when he uh, was uh, uh, teaching, um, he actually wrote um, something that that his peers, uh, whether they were in the academia or in the clergy that his peers laughed and ridiculed him for. And um, it was a treatise on Christian perfection that, um, that, that the, uh, the perception of that title was centered around the people heard that you mean that I'm perfect. And that's not the treatise. I mean, anyone can go um, and uh, search online. Uh, it is not under any copyrights because it was a long time ago that it was written. You can download it and see. But the idea was that we can live in this life where sin no longer has control over us. Sin no longer has influence over us. And if that's not the case, then Paul wasted a lot of pages in the writing of Romans. I mean, 
the five, six, and seven, all centered around freedom, moving from in Adam to being in Christ. And in, and in chapter uh, six, uh, verse 12, he says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. And I love that. He does not say that when you become a Christian, that sin will not reign in you. He says that there's this implication that there's still an option for us to allow sin, that sinful nature to um, reign or control us. Just like the movement from being in Adam to in Christ, we can be in Christ, but we could have been living in Adam for so long Mm -hmm. that we are unaware uh, that uh, we are in Christ and what is true of Christ is true of us. But we've, we, we, we think that we are still in Adam and that's what the spiritual disciplines do. They give us this new perception. They give us this new reality that we are, in fact, in Christ, and we are no longer in Adam. Exactly. You know, you you made me think of a verse in the uh, in the great hymn. It is well with my soul. It's my sin was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And if we could just Think about that, what Christ did for us on the cross, and accept that, then, you know, we need to, one of the things that Paul is saying in Philippians is letting go of the things of the past. And I move forward in the future or in the present and the future. So when you really Except the fact that Christ on the cross paid for our past, present, and future. And it's our responsibility, again, going back to the disciplines, putting ourselves in a position where God can transform our lives for the betterment of the kingdom of God. So, you know. I think there are so many things that we miss as Christians. I think there are so many things that, um, that God says are ours, but we don't uh, live into them. And and I think that, uh, the spiritual disciplines as we are going to see as the weeks unfold, um, that, uh, that we are going to, um, actually, um, see that these become uh, a means for us. These become instruments for us. Um, again, they are not instruments to get us into heaven. That's already been done and our acceptance of Christ being enough. But they, what they do is um, they open a, f- a floodgate of our perception of the reality of God's grace all around us. We said earlier that um, Richard Foster was greatly influenced by this guy named um, Dallas Willard. Right. And Dallas Willard, in in one of his um, uh, interviews with John Ortberg, um, they're talking about the kingdom of God. And, and they're talking about this idea of, of God's grace being that means. And, and I remember watching this, and it's from a, a while back, but I, I remember watching this and... Um, and uh, um, 
Dallas Willard talking about that God's grace is not only for the forgiveness of sins, which we might think is, man, that's God's riches at Christ's expense. This is how I'm getting God graciously through his grace and the work of Christ brought us in. And, and then it's put on a shelf where we can look at later on and say, see, that's God's grace. And I've used it. I'm done with it. It's it's now I'm on my own again. No, no. Uh, Dallas said is um, you know, Christians use God's grace like a 747 <laughs> uses fuel on takeoff. Right. Now, we need those re- constant reminders that even in the midst of <clears throat> our self and and our mistakes and our sinfulness, that God is still right there loving us. And that's God's grace. That God has not, we have not used up all of God's grace. That there is still more around. Exactly. 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 Tommy, I'm really looking forward for... Uh, 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 the weeks to come and this journey. Um, I do appreciate you uh, being with us today. Um, and for you who are uh, joining us uh, on this um, uh, time together, um, I pray that this time that we have had together um, brings you closer to God and um, that you begin to uh, live into a, a reality uh, that is uh, centered around um, uh, of what God has done, what God is offering, um, and uh, to live into this idea that um, that our soul jumping off point when it comes to the deeper life with God, this this intimate and and uh, uh, deep relationship with God centers around our willingness to um, step into these disciplines where we are repositioned, where we have an opportunity to refocus our attention off of ourself and back onto God. Tommy, thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome.